thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, with God prepared, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thanks, Esther. I love the way that that uh, passage of scripture was read with such passion. This is beautiful words that we get to engage with tonight. So let's take a moment to pray as I begin. Father, I thank you that you are present here with us and that you love us and that you look upon us with great fondness. And Father, I pray this evening as we uh, engage in your word, as we listen to you, Father, as we are stretched and challenged, that we'd be soft in our hearts and in our minds, Lord, that you would shape us. And I pray that we would leave this place tonight slightly different to the people that we arrived here as. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, 2016 has already been dubbed the year of celebrity deaths. And we're only 24 days in. David Robert Jones, or David Bowie, singer famous for songs such as Heroes, Starman, and films like Labyrinth and my personal favorite, Zoolander, died on the 10th of January. Alan Sidney Patrick Rickman, British actor famous for the role of Snape in the Harry Potter series, was in the Die Hard film, Love Actually, and again, my personal favorite, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He died on the 14th of January. Glenn Lewis Frey, founding member and guitarist of rock band The Eagles, famous for songs like Take It to the Limit and Hotel California, 
died on the 18th of January. Add to this list Celine Dion's husband and manager, Rene Angelil, and a list of about 10 other celebrities that I recognized pictures of and didn't necessarily recognize their face. But I do understand what the writers of the news are saying. This is pretty extraordinary. Now, I appreciate that this is not a terribly cheery topic, but there is some hope, so hang in there. Public response to these celebrity deaths has been one of intense commitment, extraordinary levels of commitment from fans of these celebrities. So David Bowie reached number one in the album charts with his album Black Star, which was released two days before his death. David Bowie has never reached number one in the album charts in the US, but fans wanted to take home a piece of David Bowie. His fans also would like to rename the planet Mars, Planet Bowie. And 37,958 people signed a petition for David Bowie's face to be put on the back of the 20 pound note. This is extraordinary commitment by fans to the celebrity that they loved. Alan Rickman received 10 million searches of his name on the day of his death. In one day, 10 million searches. And social media is awash with tributes to their celebrities, the people that they loved by fans. People have been visiting the Hogwarts world of wizardry and raising their wands as a kind of act of celebrating and remembering Alan Rickman. But why do people connect so strongly with celebrities, and particularly when they hear of these celebrity deaths? What drives people, what drives us, towards that kind of connection? And if not these people that I've mentioned, if you thought, yeah, I don't even know who those people are, then how about Robin Williams last year, or maybe Princess Diana in 1997? Journalist Holly Wainwright writes about celebrity death that we are fascinated by death and loss. We are drawn to the raw emotion that surrounds it, something real, something profound that we can latch onto and that we can feel. Now, this is not the gospel, but I think if we're honest, we're seeing this. You know, we see this. It's often true. People are latching on to these celebrity deaths. And so I did a bit of research into why there was such a fascination with celebrity deaths. And I found a bit of research um, by two professors in the US who conducted this research after a famous racing car driver died in 2012. And they scoured internet message boards and kind of compiled all of their, their thinking, their research. And they came up with two common threads, two common themes that seemed to come out of uh, their research. And the first of those was that fans were using incorporation to cope with the loss of a celebrity, and they were also using interjection. Now, I didn't know what those terms meant either, so I'm going to tell you now. Don't worry. Incorporation means compensating for the death of a celebrity by acquiring material objects by which to remember them. The Black Star album. The objects, in a sense, are helping to keep that celebrity alive. An interjection, which is the point I found really interesting, 
means to take the idea of celebrity so that it becomes a part of ourselves. When fans interject, they relive their experiences of that celebrity by sharing their experiences with other fans, and they gain a sense of community, a sense of belonging. In some regards, they are gaining a sense of identity within that. We are drawn to the raw emotion of death, something real, something profound that we can latch onto, that we can feel, to take in the idea of celebrity so it becomes a part of ourselves, reliving experiences of that celebrity with others so that we might find community or a sense of belonging. And again, this is not the gospel, and I'm not going to listen to what is written in the press and assume that this is exactly who we are and how we work, and, and this is how we need to live and reflect on in our, in our lives. But if I'm honest, and I think if we're honest, this is what we're seeing in the news. We're seeing some extraordinary level of connection, and whether or not you have felt compelled to such extreme extents to petition for David Bowie's face on the back of the 20-pound note or not, there's some level of connection that people have. Fans are seeking to join in with the story of death of a celebrity. They are declaring that something of their identity is found in this person. And often, this sense of identity is years in the making. For some of us, looking back on our teenage years is a fairly recent affair. For some of us, it's a little bit longer. But if we're honest, during that time, we listen to music, or we look for particular authors, or we go and see the films with particular stars in that. And and something of who we are is kind of associated with those things, the people that we associate with. I love that person's work. I love what they do. I love the way that they act. I love the way that they write. I really connect with that. And our identity is kind of formed in this time by these things, by these people. And I think if we are honest with ourselves, we are trying to find our identity in part in the lives of others. Now, if you have dialed out at this point because you think this sermon is all about celebrities, now now is the point to dial back in because it's not. It's not just about celebrities. Maybe you um, are finding your identity in your workplace. And actually, something of your identity is found in your relationship with someone in a senior position above you. You like to be known as the one who stays late or works the hardest or completes projects on time. And these are good things, but something of your identity is found in that person. Maybe your identity is found in the face of your family. I'm really proud of my son, of my daughter. I'm really proud of my grandchildren and the way they do. It reflects something of who we are. Now, I'm not seeking to criticize everyone's uh, desire or people's desire to connect with celebrities in their death. It's not wrong to connect with these things. It's not wrong to care about the death of these celebrities and to, to join in, in in mourning with others. That's, that's not wrong. But this phenomena raises questions for me about where we are seeking to find our identity. 
where we are seeking to establish who we are, the things that we are investing in, engaging in, and saying, you can define who I am. And in particular, I think this raises questions for where we, as followers of Jesus, are seeking to find our identity. Paul's letter to the Ephesians is written in part to challenge the patterns of earlier believers who were open to um, a lot of religious teaching around them at that time. And Paul isn't demonizing the the world in the book of Ephesians. In fact, a lot of the teaching that Paul engages in in this book Um, is against Gnostic teaching. Now, Gnostic teaching essentially said that God was up there and the world was down here and God couldn't be found in the world. Gnostic teaching drove this wedge between the two. And Paul was saying that we see God in the world. We see him reflected in those that he's created. We see him in the faces of each other. We see him in creation. Paul was saying that the world is not all bad, Yes, there is sin and evil in the world, but God is still present and still reflected here. But the way he starts his letter in particular makes it very clear what needs to define the pattern of life for a believer. He makes it very clear what needs to define the identity of a believer. This section in Ephesians 1 is called a doxology. Now, a doxology is an expression of worship or honor to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's designed to be used in contexts exactly like this, to be used in worship services. Now, worship is designed to reorientate us towards God It takes our gaze off ourself and it puts our focus on God where we are shaped and formed and influenced by our connection with him as we worship him, as we declare who God is and as we celebrate who he is. If you've ever been to a gig or you've heard a piece of orchestral music live, or you've been to the movies, then you've engaged in this kind of moment. It's almost a moment of worship where you are opening yourself up to be influenced, to have your mind changed by what is filling your senses. It reorientates us. It it helps us to focus on something else. It kind of moves our thinking from what we were thinking about before onto focusing on this that is right in front of us and filling all that we are. And I think that we need these moments of realignment. We need these moments to challenge us and to shape us and to move us out of the track that we were kind of heading down. And perhaps this is why we are drawn to the lives of celebrities, why we connect and engage with celebrities, because we're actually spending a moment outside of ourselves, looking at the problems or the joys or the successes or the creativity of another. But I think that we particularly need a vision shaped by what God says about us, about what God says he is, who God says he is, what he has done on this earth, and what he says about who we are, 
what God says about who you are, who I am. And this section in Ephesians is absolutely full of that. So I want to um, highlight just three things. I'm going to draw out three things tonight that I think this scripture says. And I'd love it if these three things kind of become a toolkit for us. Things that shape the way that we think every day. That may sound like a big ask, but I think it's a good thing. I'd love it if these things shape our existence, shape the way that we think. And I'd love it if these three things become the firm, solid ground that we stand on and that we are freed to jump from, knowing that it won't crumble beneath our feet. In this section of Ephesians, I think we find our position, our purpose, and our promise. And conveniently, they all begin with P, so you might remember them. Number one is position. Verses 3, 4, 6, 7, 11, 13, and 2, 10 all describe that we are in Christ. And in fact, the whole of the book of Ephesians is riddled with this message that we are in Christ. Scholars, theologians, brighter people than me all agree that if we were to summarize this book in two words, it would be in Christ. That is the heart of Paul's teaching, is that we would recognize that we are found in Christ. So what does that mean? Well, to be in Christ means to recognize that we have accepted Christ's death and his resurrection as the way that we can have relationship with the Father. To be in Christ means that we recognize who Christ is and the influence and effect that he has on our lives. But it also means that to God, we are identified in the same way as Jesus. When God looks upon us, he identifies us with Christ. So Jesus is like a car. And when we get in that car, we go where Jesus is going. And everywhere that that car goes... Everything it is exposed to, everything that happens to that car, happens to us. We are viewed in that car. We are identified in Jesus. We are seen in Christ. And this is our place of belonging. This is where we belong. This is the community that we are clamoring for. This is the community that we are hungering after. This is our place of belonging. And in that car, we recognize our position as sons. And this is not a gender-exclusive term. The language of sonship within the Bible is talking about inheritance, what we will receive from God. This is the language of approval, of affirmation, of God's delight over his children. So daughters are very firmly included within this description. This is a description of our inheritance, that we will receive the fullness of what God wants to give us, every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. And we have a position in heaven. That that is part of our inheritance, is that we have this position secured with God in eternity. That we have the strength to resist the teachings of the enemy that we encounter in this world. 
and that we also have life now in all its fullness. Knowing our position in Christ defines our identity and it also shapes where we are going, where we are going with Jesus and where we are going with Jesus, what we are doing in this life on this earth is our purpose. And our purpose in Christ defines our identity. This is the reason that we live and breathe and that we have our being. Our purpose in Christ, as verse 12 reminds us, is to bring God glory, is to make him famous, is to celebrate him, is to worship him. That is our primary reason for existing. If you didn't know what the meaning of life is, there it is, right there, this evening, here at Gaimia Baptist Church. Our purpose, the reason for living, is to bring God glory. That's what life is about. And in part, we do this by being sons and daughters, just by recognizing that we are God's children and living in that. It's almost as easy as that. We recognize that we are God's children and we accept what Jesus has done for us and we receive that invitation into life. And there we go. We recognize that we are sons and daughters of the God of creation. And we bring God glory by recognizing that, by living a life in that position, with that status. This is amazing. But we also do that by living a life of obedience and honoring God with our existence, worshiping him, bringing him glory in all of the contexts that we find ourselves in, making him famous, telling others of him. A well-ordered marching band gives glory to something greater than the musicians who make up that band. So as that band comes on before an American football game, marching in time, playing music, celebrating, expressing their gifts of creativity, of musicianship, they are representing the team that is going to come on later and play American football. They are representing this team. They are saying something about the team that is coming on after. And they are celebrating in the fullness of life what they're called to do. And our lives in God's marching band are for God's glory. We are representing him. We are celebrating him. We are kind of the triumphal anthem on this earth, declaring that our God is king. And our I'd love us to live lives that obediently honor him, that recognize his timing, his rhythm is what moves us, what shapes us, that we would celebrate him, that we would worship him, that we would make him famous, and that we would reveal who he is to those that don't know him yet. Our identity is shaped by our purpose. And our purpose is to bring glory to God. And we don't have to worry whether we are in the car with Jesus, in Jesus. And we don't have to worry whether we are in that marching band if we know that we have God's Holy Spirit with us. Verses 13 and 14 tell us the Holy Spirit is our promise that we are God's. 
The Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is the map within the car that guides where we're going, leads us, takes us forward, moves us forward. The Holy Spirit is the fuel in that car that resources us to get where we're going. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee that we will get to where we're headed. The Holy Spirit is the rhythm within that marching band, keeping us in time, in God's rhythm, following him daily, day by day by day. The Holy Spirit shapes the music we make as we make a sweet sound to our God, celebrating him, worshiping him, expressing our thankfulness to him for making us as we are. The Holy Spirit is our resource as we live this life following Jesus. And this is similar to introjection. This is God's Spirit becoming a part of ourselves and giving us identity in this community. The Holy Spirit secures our sense of belonging. Our our identity is formed and fueled and secured by the Holy Spirit. And we've got to know what God says about our identity to live for his glory. We have got to soak in the truths about who God says that we are. And again, it's not new and it's not improved, but the answers are in here. We've got to know what God says about us by reading what God says about us in the Bible. We're a child of God. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. 1 John 3 verse 1. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 19. We are delighted in. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's from Zephaniah 3, 17. We need to write what God says about us on our bathroom mirrors. We have that in my home and that's largely due to my wife. But I'm shaped by that. When I look in the mirror, I'm shaped by what God says about who I am. We need to buy prints of these Bible verses and decorate our homes with them. I found a whole heap of resources online where you can find beautifully illustrated bits of scripture. They look wonderful. And they tell us something about who we are. They begin to shape our existence as we are reminded what God says about us. Who God says that we are as we allow God by his word to shape our identity. May I encourage you tonight to go home and Google my identity in Christ Bible verses. You will find a whole heap of resources. People have collated a whole bunch of verses of scripture that tell us who we are in Christ. I spent a significant period reading over that during a darker time in my life a few years ago. 
Spending time just reflecting on the reality of who God said I was when it was hard to believe those truths. And I genuinely believe that it helped me through that time and changed the way I understand who I am. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to daily remind us who God says that we are. Invite God by his Spirit. Would you show me? Would you remind me who you say that I am? And allow that to sink deep into our hearts. To be transformed by that. By the renewing of our minds. I've got one last story, if you'll indulge me. Have you ever looked at a painting and cried? Because you've been so stirred with emotion by looking at that painting. And you look at that painting and you connect with the message in that painting. You look at it and you think, oh, that says something that I haven't been able to find the words to say. It's something beautiful and transforming and you are totally enraptured by this picture. I have a painting in my office that was painted by my father. And this painting is of wild horses running. And my father painted this painting based on a piece of scripture from Jeremiah 12 verse 5, which talks about running with horses. And for me, the heart of that verse is about God saying to Jeremiah that he's training him for tough times so that he might be able to run with horses and keep going. And it's a beautiful meaning. But when I saw this painting, I saw that meaning within it. I saw the brushstrokes. I saw the fingerprints of my father within that. And I began to cry when I opened that up. I was affected by it. I saw the meaning. I saw the heart behind it. I saw the craftsmanship. And it was beautiful. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Now, I believe that that word handiwork is more accurately translated masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He looks down upon us with the fondness of a creator whose fingerprints are all over our identity. We are, the brushstrokes are seen by him. And imagine, just for one moment, how much more fondly God looks down upon us. He, our creator, who made us, looks down upon our, his creation, upon us, and said, you're perfect, you're a masterpiece. You are pride of my life. This is how God views us. We are masterpieces, and this is what shapes our identity. This is who God says that we are. And this changes the way that we live, the way that we understand ourselves, the way that we recognize our position here on this earth. This changes our purpose. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. This is our identity. And I've been reflecting this week that 
perhaps we're so often drawn to celebrities who are creatives, artists, because there's something deep inside us that wants to connect with our creator God, the God who created us and says that we are masterpieces. We're gripped by stories of celebrity deaths. But perhaps we need to be gripped by the death of another creative, a carpenter who died 2,000 years ago and in whose dying and rising to life brought us life. Life with a position, a purpose, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment to pray. Father God, I thank you that you shape our identity. And I thank you that this is a true truth and a real reality. And Lord, I pray that tonight, if we have not been thinking about this, Lord, if we have not been recognizing that it's in you we find who we are and our reason for living, and Father, I pray right now that by your Spirit, you would, would speak to us, shape us, challenge us. Father, we long to be people who are secured in you. And we're not blown about by the wind of this world. We're not tossed back and forward by the waves. But we're firm in you. Standing on that firm foundation that is what you say about us, our identity found in you. Father, I thank you that you're gracious and you're loving with the way that you speak about us. And Father, I thank you that we are found in Christ Jesus. And Father, I thank you that we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to see that and be changed by that right now, I pray. Amen.